Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? Doing fine, thanks. Looking forward to the next installment of the Tessel design. Uh, I think today you're going to talk about the next stage of the Tessel build, so starting with the foundation, I guess. Yeah, I'm very excited about that because that, amongst all the other podcasts related to Tessel design, this is one of the most important ones because if we don't get it right at this step, then the rest of the, the building is going to be suspect and you could see the effects of it over time. So sure. let's spend some time talking about the foundation. So where do we start then? I guess we can start at the types. What are we talking about when we say that, right? What kind of the ground conditions or we're building on, you mean? Or? Yeah, yeah, I mean, okay. you have to look at how you're putting the test cell together. So are you doing this from a greenfield site where it's just an open field that you're starting with? Or are you having to do this inside of a building that's already been constructed? And those have factors associated with it that you've got to consider. Just being in a building, where is it going to be in the building? What do you have access to? Can you get equipment in there to do whatever you need to do? I suppose the most comprehensive case is starting at the greenfield and starting with nothing and building, first of all, the foundations to go into a test cell. If we start with a building we're converting, I guess that's going to be, to some extent, a different set of discussions. Yeah. And to give you an example, what you can look at is if you start with a greenfield, typically there's going to be nothing already there underground, typically, unless you've got utilities, plumbing or piping or electrical. In an existing building, you may not know, depending on how old the building is, there may be pre-existing piping, old piping, plumbing, electrical that you may not even be aware of. So those are all things that are roadblocks that you may have to work your way through. So either the greenfield or with an existing building, you've got to have a pretty clear idea of what's underneath the floor. Right. And that leads to the next yeah. topic of this discussion, which is what kind of inertia mass do I need to put there? What type of a, a seismic block? And when I talk about these different terms, what I'm basically trying to say is you've got to know what you're going to test on top of the surface. So is it a big giant engine or a small gasoline engine? Is it a aircraft engine? You know, is it a turbine? It depends what you're going to put on it. But the main thing that I want to get across is you need to consider everything you're going to run to make sure whatever that rotational mass is, you've calculated for that when you determine the configuration of the seismic mass underneath it. So fundamentally then, the concrete block we're going to put underneath this is the seismic mass. That's going to be the, the sort of rigid foundation we're going to put underneath everything. And is that going to be sized on the the weight of the largest engine, or is it more to do with the power delivery? In other words, a very large diesel engine will have a very different vibration characteristics to a very heavy aero engine. It's both. Okay. So it is it is how much weight, right? and then it's how much rotating weight, and it is the type of rotation that I'm referring to in regards to the vibration that you're referring to. So as the engine fires, you get that pulse, and that pulse transmits into vibration, which is sent through whatever it's mounted to. Okay. So the whole idea is if you have a surface that you're mounting something to that causes a vibration, you want to isolate that from the rest of the building. So you're not doing damage or harm to the floor around you or the walls that are next to you. I suppose as well as that, it can also affect the cementation and some of the readings for some of the, for example, pressure measurements could be disturbed by 
vibration coming from an engine. Well, absolutely. And a good example of that is noise vibration and harshness testing, right? So if you're doing noise testing, the last thing you want is something vibrating that shouldn't be vibrating. You want to be able to isolate and understand, you know, you want to know where the noise is coming from. So if you're changing something, if you're dampening something, you want to know what the effects of that are and you don't want variables influencing that measurement. Okay, so we're talking about here a a big concrete block which is going to go underneath everything, which again for a greenfield site is not so difficult to excavate and put in. I guess for putting a test cell in an existing building, then then cutting a large opening for for this concrete mass is going to be more difficult. It will. And again, typically the old saying is if you have enough time and money, you can do anything. There are some constraints though. So I worked in a company that you were not allowed to excavate whatsoever. So everything had to be above grade. So I had to put in place seismic blocks that were supported by air springs to absorb the vibration on a thick floor. An air spring. Yeah, an air spring. So so it's basically an air shock or an air absorber that adjusts the air to accommodate the the vibration being transmitted through it. So it's constantly under pressure leveling. So there, you're looking at the level of the bed plate and making sure it stays level and you're absorbing any of the rotational masses or pulses that are being transmitted through it. So a heavy-duty lift kit then. Okay. In principle. <laughs> In principle. So, so that's one way, right? So I can go through the list. So you've got the concrete block. You've got spring-assisted where it's on coil springs. Well, hold on, hold on, Mike. The concrete block would be in the ground and and solid, fixed. The pieces you're talking about now are on top of the concrete? In one scenario, but there are okay. concrete blocks that are set on a thick rubber elastomer pad on top of a concrete surface. There's okay, different so, ways to skin this cat depending yeah. on your application. Yeah. But it's there's ideal and there's non-ideal. It just depends on what you have to test and how big is it. And, okay then, so let's take the yeah, the most comprehensive case then would be putting some elastomer pads underneath the concrete, first of all, so there's some flexibility in, in how the concrete sits. Assume we've got that level, we're then talking about different solutions to go on top of the concrete to then put a, presumably a bed plate as the final operating surface. Yeah, and to elaborate on that a little bit is we'll use the concrete and bed plate, steel bed plate. Yeah. So the experiences that I have were mainly regards to pouring a specific size concrete inertia mass or block. And how, then So how big was that? Just to scale it a bit in people's minds. Okay, so it would be the bed plate itself would be six foot by eighteen foot. By six what, foot what wide sort by eighteen depth? foot. So that would mean the depth on the concrete pad based upon my application was four feet of concrete. That's a serious right. piece of concrete. <laughs> right. And not only is it it's a lot of concrete, but also the reinforcement of that concrete. So it wasn't your standard rebar layout to reinforce that concrete. It was an intense circuit of rebar to make sure this mass didn't crumble apart either. Considering the vibration that will be subject to. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So furthering that, talking about that type of installation, you pour this big concrete mass or pad, then you put a steel bed plate on it. And the purpose of the steel bed plate is the steel bed plate typically has T-slots in it that run 
down the horizontal of the bed plate or it could be across bed plate where it has it running both ways. Yeah, to cover different mountings for different engines. Correct. Yeah. So what the idea was is you pour your concrete mass, then you stick your bed plate on top of that mass, which has the threaded rods that the bed plate attaches to. Well, hold on. There are also some where the bed plate itself is riding above the concrete. Experience of having air springs underneath a, a bed plate on top of the concrete for absorbing a vibration of some large diesel engines in a previous test facility. And that is a different way of doing it too. That is a possibility too, that you have that in between. But what I was doing when I was designing is I was making it as big a mass as possible. So what you typically do is when you mount a bed plate or steel bed plate, you just don't bolt it down to this concrete surface. You make it one with that four foot thick concrete. And to do that, you drop your bed plate down on top of the concrete. You then grout the bed plate to the concrete. So it's literally one solid mass when you're all said and yeah, done yeah. after it's level. So there's steps that go in with it, right? I just spoke to a couple of the steps, which was the grouting portion of it. But once you have your mass in place, whether it's spring-mounted, air spring, seismic block, a pad on concrete, whatever you choose, there's certain things that you want to do to make sure that is, and these are almost tips uh, on a high-level scale perspective, but you want to make sure your bed plate, if you have anything that's you're mounting your engine to, you want to make sure that's slightly higher than the concrete surface around it. That way you can overhang mounting things off the edge of the bed plate without hitting the concrete surface around the perimeter. Okay, a bit more flexibility in mounting things on Yeah, there. that's just a lessons learned that I went through in the first test cells that I was involved with the design and build of. So, And again, we'll talk more of that hopefully in the near future in regards to a more detailed podcast revolving around this because I think it's deserving of it. But for right now, it's just going down the path of trying to stay high level. Right, and in terms of anchoring, you talked a little bit about drilling down into the concrete block. In the past, I've used both a, a regular dry expansion bolt, but also epoxy bolts where you get some additional bonding with the base material. Yeah, and then again, I have my personal preference with that one is that's a way of doing it, and it's perfectly fine if you're grouting it. You don't need to go to the extreme of... Doing that, what you need to do, because the grout is almost like a bonding agent in itself. But the whole... So, so hang on. Again, another expression, grouting, you can think of in terms of fixing the bathroom or the bath. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the grout isn't just filler. It's actually a bonding material then. It can be. I mean, you're still bolting things down because when you buy a bed plate or steel plate, it's never going to be perfectly flat. So you have to be able to raise and lower parts of the bed plate. So you do have anchoring of those bolts. Now, typically, you're casting those threaded rods into the concrete mass. Right. You're not usually drilling it and then putting an epoxy anchor. Even though that's one way to try to do it, usually you're casting them in. So you'd shim the bed plate to make sure it's horizontal and then put this grouting to solidify the base underneath that. Exactly. And you're doing okay. the shimming via each one of those threaded rods with the nuts on in each one of those hole locations. Okay, Mike, it's not something you're going to be taking up and moving somewhere else then. Absolutely not. In fact, when I used to buy used bed plates in the past, they had people that would chip the concrete or grout away from the bed plate so they could sell the bed plate. Okay. Well, that's very good. I mean, good introduction to the foundations. Uh, I think our next discussion will be going from that foundation onto the 
above ground construction. Yeah, that's so when put the tests all together. Yep, yep. That'll include not just the floors, but the walls. It'll include the trenches that you may elect to use around the bed place. So it helps and aids in the wearways and running plumbing and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it just starts building momentum now in regards yeah. to it's like building a house. As long as you've had a strong foundation, you can be rest assured the rest of the house is going to stay in place and not fall apart. With an additional new vocabulary for different features we'll include. Yep. Great. Well, thanks for the introduction, Mike. Yep. Look forward to the next podcast. Okay. Thank you for listening to Dino Insights presented by Fruit. If there are any engine testing topics you would like us to discuss, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at fruitdino.com.